Welcome to another episode of Harvest Series, a podcast following a four-day experience in Kaplankaya on the southwestern Asian coast of Turkey, filled with fascinating talks and workshops to harvest knowledge and nurture the planet, an event produced by Athena Advisors and Capital Partners. Uh, that was ahead was, I called it God for lack of a, another better term for it, but it's, you know, the ultimate mystery, the ultimate reality and all answers to all your uh, questions. And so pure love. And uh, so all of that was in the light. So that's what I got to see in, in Allison's apartment that day. And that turned my life around because I was very depressed before that. And this gave me a new rebirth. And so with that confidence, I guess, and excitement, I called her up the next day to find out what happened to her and whether she'd like to go out. Then we went out once and we never left. Yeah. That's what happened. I am Rose, a French journalist based in Barcelona. And this episode is an interview made in Caplancaya with Alison and Alex Gray. They are artistic and spiritual partners exploring the nature of consciousness and spirituality through their art and other creative projects, like the Chapel of Sacred Mirrors that they co-founded. It's a non-profit organization dedicated to promoting visionary art and spirituality. Hello, Alison and Alex. Hi. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for being here in Caplancaya and in this conference room for the Harvest uh, podcast series. So my first question, I stole it from you, from your podcast, and I really liked it. You asked to an artist, were you specially gifted as a kid? And who was the first teacher who noticed your skill or the first person who encouraged you? My father, who was an artist. Uh, so I think I, I just loved watching him draw. It was very magical, you know, to see blank piece of paper and then a pencil skates over it. And suddenly there's a, a creature there that didn't exist just moments before. So for me, it's always been completely magical. And I'm, I'm still, you know, enraptured by the whole act of creating pictures. And for me, it was my mother who went to art school and taught me first to draw a cube of all things. She you know, would put a square down and then she'd put another square across it, you know, and then attach the points, the angles, and you have a cube. I was amazed, you know, like how to make something three-dimensional. And of course, squares have always been something that uh, has been in uh, my art. When did you have the moment when you thought, this is it, I'm going to be an artist and live from it? I always kind of sensed I was an artist and I haven't had any doubt about that from the time I was a child. I since then have imagined that I had a past life as an artist too that kind of made that transition a little easier too. But your you, you but your father was a professional artist. Yes. So you had the sense that a person can make a living and have a family, and have a home, and raise children, and whatever. And for me, uh, as a woman, I guess it just, nothing else felt 
like who I really was. It's just an identity that you start off with. And if you're true to yourself, you know, you just keep making art. And, uh, you know, I went to art school from high school and continued on. How has your uh, practice of meditation and spiritual exploration influenced your art? I kind of got introduced to spirituality through psychedelics. Then I could see that there was truly a spiritual world. And that encouraged me to study meditation and find a way to be in contact with this spirituality on a daily basis rather than just at these special times when uh, I would journey. And it also sent me on a, a spiritual quest through the various traditions and things. And so uh, we've studied a lot of different traditions and uh, Tibetan Buddhist meditation became something that I was really drawn to. And so that has completely influenced my way of meditating and bringing artwork forward. I think that it's spirituality uh, through psychedelics is really one of the main reasons that we got together that, uh, you know, I had had a spiritual experience on psychedelics that I didn't share with anybody because I hadn't been a particularly spiritual person before that. And it really shifted who I saw myself as. And then when Alex first took LSD in my apartment at my party and called me the next day to talk about his God contact, I spilled, you know, I, I spilled the beans to him, you know, that this is something that I'd been keeping to myself that, you know, I remember thinking after three years of taking LSD, I, I, I took LSD in a different new way for me, which was in a dark room by myself before I knew Alex. And I, and I remember thinking, this is what people call God. Cause I really hadn't seen God or known God before that. And after that, I could not know God. So when Alex was telling me about having had a spiritual opening in my on my couch we'd never left we just stayed together ever since you were already dating and you were we weren't school? dating at all no. we were we were, he was somebody i invited to my party he was in my we were in art school together and it was the end of the year party and i invited him and our professor who he worked <laughs> for and i was dating no and and so i invited them to come to my apartment for this end of year party and Alex took LSD, so did I, but I, I had been doing LSD for three, you know, six years by then. So, but anyway, Alex, uh, I had a breakthrough and yeah. Alex had a breakthrough and yeah. came into my life. That was, uh, I guess my first psychedelic vision. And, uh, when I closed my eyes, I was in a tunnel. I was in the dark, but I was going toward the light. It was a spiralic kind of tunnel. And I could see that all the different shades of gray brought the opposites together. And so from that point on, I decided to change my name to gray. I had a direction, you know, I could see that there was a, a spiritual reality that, cause the light uh, that was ahead was, I called it God for lack of a, another better term for it, but it's, you know, the ultimate mystery, the ultimate reality. And, answers to all your questions and so pure love and uh, so all of that was in the light so that's what i 
got to see in, in Allison's apartment that day. And that turned my life around because I was very depressed before that. And this gave me a new rebirth. And so with that confidence, I guess, and excitement, I called her up the next day to find out what happened to her and whether she'd like to go out. And then we went out once and you never left. Yeah. That's what happened. And since then, how have uh, each other arts influenced each other? <laughs> well, we, we've shared it. We've shared a studio for 48 years. So we have been in the same room working and we have our separate bodies of work. And we also have work that we do together. So we've always, uh, we've, we've done performances. We were in a, in an art, in art school, we were in a class that was uh, focused on performance and mixed media and conceptual art. And so we kind of come out of that in our work, although both of us were both were painters as well. So we paint in the same room, but we also plan installations and performances and uh, all, you know, all of our years. I would say that we both have a, had a profound influence on each other's work. And uh, she's given me probably most of my best ideas, you know, by seeing into uh, the work. She suggested the Sacred Mirrors as a series of works that detail the body, mind, and spirit of a person and even named them. I suggested to her yes, that, I was this, say, that the, uh, yeah. her secret language, which she had been hiding from, from people, would be an important element in her work. And Well, because secret writing was what came to me when I first said, oh, this was what people must call God. It came to me in light language, like a light, like, like in light. And I was making art from it, but not showing it because I didn't couldn't talk about LSD at school and places like that. It was very taboo in the seventies, but Alex saw it as a very important, uh, it was the most important thing. And it became my master's thesis and my work for 40 some years. What has been the most uh, challenging uh, thing for you being an artist? What's the most and the, and the most rewarding, maybe? You always want to make your work better than it's been. So if you're successful in making something better, then you still, after that, want to make something better than that. <laughs> so it's never and finished. So, so yeah, so it's, it's always a challenge, you know, you feel like, Well, you have to outdo yourself or renew yourself. So that in itself is the most challenging and rewarding thing because sometimes it pushes you to have a breakthrough and make better work or, yeah. or go in a new direction. And art is always evolving. Creativity is kind of evolution in your hands. And so that's the important uh, thing. Because you're you're not finished till you're till you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> it's not finished till it's good. Yeah, and it's not good until it's finished. So oh. so it really goes both ways. But and when do you know? Like that's I'm well, leaving. Like you know this that, is good you know enough. It's, it's fantastic. How do you know enough? that it's done? For me, it's a feeling. For Allison, it's she fills in the last square and it's done. <laughs> and and uh, for me, it's sometimes a little more ambiguous, uh, but it has to do with my feelings that were the source of 
the work becoming more and more present. And now I feel like I may have had a vision that I'm trying to reproduce, but that during that vision, I was having a particular feeling. And so when the feeling starts to come, when I'm looking at the work, then I think it's near, okay. near done. Oh, you've managed to recreate the what you were feeling. Okay. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. My work is in meditation. So, you know, I, I plan it and work, work with my design until it's done, until the meditation is over. Alison is renowned for her visual abstractions and secret writing paintings, while Alex is celebrated for his spirituality-infused masterpieces like the iconic Sacred Mirrors series and the profound painting Net of Being. However, beyond their individual artistic achievements, the couple shares a deep-seated belief in the transformative power of creativity. They firmly advocate that nurturing one's creative spirit is not only essential for personal growth, but also for healing, community enrichment, and the limitless exploration of human potential. In Kaplankaya, during harvest event, they organized a workshop where participants were provided with art tools to unlock their creative potential. We started off doing a, a meditation at the beginning to get ourselves in the zone and, and make sure that we were present with, with what it is that we were doing. And we were asked to see whatever it is that was coming up and to acknowledge it. And then we were asked to express our visions. For me, it came out as a, a really abstract kind of thing. It was all about a mixing of colors and a melding of different shapes and textures. And then I did something else entirely as well for the next one. So it was just about expressing what you were feeling and what you were seeing at the time. We're all naturally creative. Every thought that we have is a new creation. And, you know, what we say about our lives and uh, we're the author of that story, you know, naturally. I like to draw. And I think that a lot of people give up drawing, you know, after a certain time. It, we all were natural born artists when we came out, you know, and most people enjoyed making art as children. Uh, but then they give up such childish things after a while. So I always encourage people, if they're having also a difficult emotions and things, it's really wonderful to make a picture based on uh, something that may be your despair or your upset or, you know, whatever kind of challenging emotion you're having because you're able to get the monster out of the box, you know, out of your head. It's something interesting, you know, psychologists say that the way that we transform is uh, by having our subjective state, which is our, our feelings and everything, that we become uh, more objective about our subjective state. Art literally objectifies okay. your yeah, subjective yeah. state. Okay. And so this can be a healing method for any anybody. It doesn't require talent or anything yeah. like that. It can be helpful in getting out our emotions. 
What would be, uh, Alison, a concrete advice for people who um, say they don't have the time to be creative? <laughs> well, I, I see creativity as a health factor. You know, you could say, I don't have time to exercise, but you know that it's good for you because you, uh, you benefit from it and you wouldn't want to live without exercise. And I think it's like that. Everyone is creative and, and, and there are many kinds of creativity. You don't have to paint. I mean, when it comes to art, it, it really takes, you know, like four things to be an artist. If you want to have an art practice, you have to have time. You have to make the time, you make an appointment with yourself and you keep it. You have to have a, if, if it's best for you in the morning, then you do morning, if it's evening, it's evening. So then there's space. You have to have space because it's a material world thing. So you have to have time. You have to have space. You have to have the materials. You have to decide what materials you're going to use. So that's another thing. You know, if you're going to be a painter or a sculptor or a potter, you know, whatever, you have to have the materials. So there's the time, the space. The space would be good if you if you didn't have to clean it up every time. Some place mm. where you can go yeah. jump back into it easily. And then the fourth thing that Alex always says is the most important thing, and I agree, and that is the content, the subject matter. What are you making art about? And that takes a certain passion. It takes an interest. You know, you have to study and look at other people's art. Looking at other people's art helps you to decide what materials you want to use too, what really attracts you. So you, you become interested in art and you look at other people's art and you learn how to uh, create your own techniques, but also learn the techniques of, of other artists. So That's what it takes to have an art practice. And I think just like having an exercise practice, you have to know certain things and have a place to do it and yeah. have the right shoes. And, you know, it's like that. Can art help to have a spiritual awakening? Creative spirit is something that is engaged whenever we're making art or being creative. I think that that's raw spirituality. Uh, you're always engaging spirit through creation. You know, we think of uh, the creator as manifesting the uh, universe. And uh, so we think all we are is expressions of this cosmic creative force. We can't help but be creative, really. Can you explain, for example, one of the psychedelic experience you had and how you translated it into your art concretely? Well, one of the most profound experiences that I've ever had was June 3rd, 1976, when we were taking LSD. And it felt like the material world kind of dissolved and we became energy, balls of energy that were kind of circulating with, a, with this light. The light was connecting all these infinite balls of light, which was like every other being in the universe. We were all connected and sharing the same light. And the light was love. Uh, so it seemed outside of time somehow. And uh, yet it seemed more real than kind of sitting here. Uh, this was a a very profound experience because Allison had the same experience. And we, after an eternity in this space, which probably lasted 20 minutes, we came out and we started drawing this same space. Okay. Oh. So it had a shape. 
so we could see that, but both of us saw it sort of from a different angle, but it completely affected our work. And I tried to reproduce this space in a painting called the universal mind lattice, where I was kind of as if the body had dissolved and it would, you know, was, a, was a ball of light like that and, and tried to suggest all the infinite light beings that it was connected to. So that's part of the sacred mirror series. Well, it, I mean, in, within that experience, I mean, we were, we were drawing it from like two different perspectives. You were drawing it like as the single figure, the node, the one node, but all of the nodes, there was a vast vista of, of nodes that were all interconnected and made of light. And mine were multicolored strands, but they were, and I was hovering over the top of sort of a field of these fountains and drains of energy that were, you know, suck holes and blow holes, you know, like it started where we were lying down and it was coming out of my head and going into Alex's head and out of my feet and going into his feet. So I could completely see how he was drawing, painting the, the this one single human, the node that he was interacting and interrelated with all the other nodes. And mine was kind of from the top looking down into the funnel. So we think of our work as coming from the same place many times, but we, you know, have our own styles and ways, ways yeah. of interpreting it. Yeah. Our common subject is this transcendental light of interconnectedness. How do you look at death as uh, artists and human beings? Since I have a sense of a prior lifetime, I have a, an imagining, you know, and a belief, I guess, that reincarnation is something that happens or a transformation of consciousness from out of the body to a spiritual reality and whether you take a different human body or whether you uh, stay in the spirit for a while it all depends in the tibetan system they say you got 49 days in the bardo after death you know to choose an, a new uh, body basically a new life i believe that i think that that happens you know a lot of humanity has accepted the idea of reincarnation as being a a natural thing that's how i come down i think we That's both excellent. we both agree on that experience i before i met alex i had a, a revelation of a past life that was um kind of tragic and but it, it it revealed a lot about the characteristics that i came into this life with i had this revelation that i had been a child who died of starvation and i saw my feet were you know dirty and you know rag for a dress and i was very small and young when I died. And I, it, it gave me the feeling that this is why I came into this life small and also fortunate. You know, I, I was gifted with lots of, you know, um, everything that I needed. Alex and Alison Gray founded the Chapel of Sacred Mirrors in 2014. It is an art, sanctuary and spiritual center located in New York and known for the visionary and psychedelic art created by the Grays. It serves as a place for people to explore their spirituality and creativity through art, workshops, events 
and a deep appreciation for the interconnectedness of all life. What was the idea behind uh, creating the Chapel of uh, Sacred Mirrors? Well, in 1984, we took our first MDMA experience. It was actually legal at the time. We had just agreed to sell all the sacred mirrors to a, a wealthy collector who wanted to buy them all because I, I, I wouldn't let Alex sell them unless he sold them all as okay. one thing because they really were inspired by a performance that we did called Life Energy. And, and you know, on our way home from this performance, I suggested to Alex, you know, you, those charts that you did, there's very simple ink charts of the body that people were reflecting on the, on their, the inside of their body and they were life-size. They loved those charts. You know, you should do, you know, oil paintings of, of things like that. that. That'd be a great series, you know, the body, mind, and spirit of a... Anyway... It was always meant to be an installation. And we would go around looking for a place where they might show these paintings because they were all life-size. They were big, a lot. But anyway, then this guy was going to buy them all. And we had this revelation in our MDMA experience that we had to build a temple, that we had to build an ins like, a, like an installation of this, this work that would be a permanent gift to other people who were taking psychedelics, like a... Like a like a tripping space, you know, like it'd be really great to be able to reflect on and have those experiences. And uh, so we couldn't sell them and we had to break our deal. It's more money than we had ever imagined getting. And we just said, no, we can't do this. And we, so in 1985, we, we started building it from the inside out. We made these 10 and a half foot frames, 21 of them sculpted everything in 1985. And uh, just that same year, we, we, we just started getting to work. But it took a lot, a lot longer to manifest. How transmission is a key for your couple? Or how important is it for your couple? Well, it's an interesting word, transmission. In Tibetan Buddhism, they talk about transmitting the teaching. When it's effectively transmitted, sort of... Uh, eternal Buddha field comes through and blesses us, you know, with the possibility of practicing and getting in touch with that spiritual energy. In these couple of uh, visions that uh, both Allison was describing and, and I was describing, the universal mind lattice, and then this MDMA journey where Allison saw this temple space But I also saw this temple space. It was another simultaneous uh, vision. When we came out of it, we described this. We both were in this temple. So for me, those visions are transmissions, you know, from a spiritual uh, source. And it's given our lives direction. And so since we shared those transmissions, it helps us to overcome all our petty differences and things like that because we have goals that we share, you know, a kind of a third force that has been keeping us directed toward manifesting these basically inspirations 
you know, that we felt like, oh, I guess we're supposed to build a temple. How, how do you do that? You know, and so that, but it gives your life a direction and a place to house the, uh, the visionary art that we've been working on because it feels like it should belong to uh, the public, to people, and not just to s single collectors who might put it in a vault or, or hide it away somewhere. What, Alex and Alison, what would you say about each other's contribution to evolutionary art? Well, <laughs> I don't know. I think that that's, that's a question for the future, you know. I mean, you, I think that what you, what you ultimately would like is that people would value it in the future. And I think for us, creating a temple is a commitment to sharing the work publicly. I mean, we, we founded a church, and that's partially because with, with the church, at least in America, you know, it's a way of gifting the next generation. Everything that, you know, that is in it belongs to the community that loves it, you know, the people who will take care of it and, and hopefully pass it along from generation to generation. But the inevitable consequence of love, which is what we have and what you end up having with a community, you know, you, you know, a, a community that is, 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 uh, aligned in principles, you know, in, in, you know, it does, they can be all different, you know, careers and all different professions, but if their, their principles are aligned, they can organize around a spiritual core. And so the inevitable consequence of love, group love, is building a temple. And you see it all over the world. We've been traveling all over the world for our lifetime, visiting sacred sites. We just vis visited the Hagia Sophia, which is, which is, which is some, one of the reasons why we wanted to come here because we wanted to see it, because it is one of the great spiritual institutions built by, you know, a community that started in the 500 AD or something. You know, they built they, the, 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 third, the third temple that they built was, was, was completed then. So it's, it's like communities of love come together and build a, a representative architecture, you know, new and, and different. Some are very new, the Baha'i, Temples are very modern, you know, and so we wanted to create a contemporary structure that represented interspiritual honoring of all traditions, you know, like we have, you know, a, a, you know, a, a strong commitment to today. People actually do love spirituality and they really do love gathering in the name of spirit. So, but today it's, you know, respect for everyone's tradition is important. So that was kind of the core values of our church and passing that along. It's, you know, it's our greatest desire. Yeah. We're creating a sacred offering, a gift. And how do you think, how do you see, how do you picture the visionary art in the future? What's this, um, what do you think it's going to be its natural evolution? I think the digital media has really shown us where visionary art can go, animation and the various kinds of, probably even AI development is enabling people to make visible, you know, these inner worlds. 
you know, there's no camera that you can put on the sort of theater of the imagination yet, you know, but, and that's the job of the artist uh, to make that imaginal or as William Blake used to call it, the divine imagination to bring that into form. So I think all the tools will be brought to bear. And I think that as psychedelics become more uh, legally allowed, you know, throughout the world, this hunger for seeing these inner worlds represented will become greater and greater. And there will be greater amazing artists that will be able to manifest uh, these spaces with a lot more fidelity and a lot more detail. So I look forward to that. I hope I'll see more of it before I die. Uh, you know, new mediums have always been revolutionary throughout art history. Like photography was, you know, kind of, they would try to make it look like a painting. You know, they didn't know how to, you know, early on, like just to take photography as a medium in itself. And it wasn't respected as much early on. It was just like a toy or something. You know, the airbrush is the same way. Like, is it okay to use an airbrush? I mean, is that cheating, you know? Yeah. So so I think when, when it comes to digital art, it's the same thing. There's a lot of skepticism and kind of stuff on AI and everything, but it is a medium that will be used, accepted, and... Uh, and I don't know, grow, grow the field of art. We're going to end with uh, the last uh, question, the question that I'm uh, asking to everybody, uh, all the guests of the Harvest uh, Series podcast. If there is one thing that gives you hope, what is it? I'm hopeful about the, the spirit of love that, is, I think, at the foundation of all people. For me, because my life was saved by psychedelics, basically, and helped me to find love, I think that one of the best things on the horizon is psychedelic therapy and the potential for psychedelics to become integrated back into the spiritual traditions. So this gives me hope because with these uh, transformational experiences, it often gives people a sense of the love of nature, a sense of reverence for the web of life. And I think that this is what's crucial and necessary for uh, people to stop doing the things that are harming the planet, is to love the planet and want to have a world uh, to gift our children and their children, you know, to think ahead before we uh, destroy ourselves and destroy a masterpiece of a planet. I have a, a feeling about the word hope. Hope is, it lives in the unconsciousness of people. I hope it'll one day be okay. You know, help lives in conscious action. And so I look forward to lots and lots of help, lots of help from that's what I see as going on here at, you know, at Harvest is people who really have the means and they have the intelligence and uh, the genius so many times to really help to find solutions to world problems, you know, that can really lift us out of, uh, you know, some of the mistakes that we've made in the past. 
and take us to a new level of consciousness. So I, I like to use the word help. And, and, and I, and I see that every, with every speaker, they are finding ways to help. And that's really a wonderful thing about this, this conference. So thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Alison Gray, Alex Gray, for your time and sharing uh, your experience and vision of creativity and spirituality. Thank you so much. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode and Alex and Alison Gray sharing their creative journey, meeting story and legacy aspirations. If you enjoyed it, please leave a positive review and follow us on Instagram at Harvest Series. You can also watch our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash Harvest Series. Next, we'll dive into education with Dr. Shefali in our upcoming episode. Until next time. Thank you.